afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Let's Chat Markets. We do have another fun episode for our listeners this week as the calendar quickly approaches our inaugural High Ground Dairy Outlook Conference on June 22nd and 23rd here in Chicago at the Union League Club. There are some really incredible speakers coming in from all over the globe to educate and share dairy insights from key corners of the world like Europe, Australia, and New Zealand, which brings me to today's guest, Jason Bray. Jason is an associate director of Southern Pastures, a niche fund of 20 dairy farms split between the Waikato and Canterbury regions within New Zealand. Furthermore, Jason is the commercial director of New Zealand Grass-Fed Products Limited Partnership, the wholesale arm of the Southern Pastures Group, managing the commodity price risk generated by over $200 million in bulk dairy ingredient sales. Jason, it's so great to have you on. I don't think I've seen you since the NZX conference in Singapore almost three years ago now. No, that's right. Yeah, it has been a little while and obviously a very different world as well after that last conference. Not to mention the fact that we were um, working for, well, my previous role, we were obviously competitors, so it was yeah. a, um, probably didn't get a, a, a chance to chat or anything. So, no, look, um, um, you know, thanks for having me on and obviously looking forward to um, joining you and the team in a few weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, it's fun to be able to work along alongside you instead of against you these days. But um, what I would love is I would love for you to share a bit more about Southern Pastures for our listeners and perhaps share, you know, what products you guys create and your pretty much your goal as a company. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, happy to. So as you mentioned, Southern Pastures, it's a fund that was seeded by ethical investors with an intergenerational mindset. And we have regenerative farming at our heart, essentially. So the fund owns 20 farms, pretty much evenly split between the Waikato regions and, and, and Canterbury regions in New Zealand, currently making give or take, depending if the weather plays ball, roughly about 10 million KTMS a year. So um, with that in mind, and I guess with the whole regenerative themes at heart, the farming group made the, uh, the decision early on to actually walk the talk and, and subsequently created what we've branded our, our 10-star certified values that really represent everything that we stand for. The 10-star certified values that are embedded in our business. Get on the website and, and have a look at what they all are. And at the same time, the retail products or the retail butter that we actually manufacture are uh, available in the US. So uh, if you do get the chance, then then definitely get on there and, and have a look as to um, you know where you guys can pick some up stateside. Wow. But yeah, with that aside, so we've we've obviously got the, the farming group that underpins the business, but then our actual product offering stems off twofold. So about a year ago, we took 100% ownership in our, our retail arm called Lewis Road Creamery, while at the same time recognised that all of our um, strategic partnerships that we have with the manufacturing base in New Zealand warranted value of being able to offer a wholesale offering as well. And so that's the arm of the business that I work for. So at the moment, we're about 200 million worth of sales. Um, obviously looking to expand and we offer a range of butters and protein powders so when you're talking about mpc 85s and skim milk powders buttermilk powder and um, uht creams butter sheets hopefully at some stage so we're very fortunate from the fact that being a smaller nimble operation that helps leverage the strengths of our strategic partners we're we're fairly flexible with what we can offer and, and we'll just go as to where our customers need lie 
Oh, that's great. Awesome. I had, I had no idea. So it's really interesting to learn um, all those products that you guys have to offer. And I'll be sure to look for your butter on the shelves. So I might, I might get in trouble over here for eating foreign butter. Who knows? Looking at the production figures from New Zealand this season, obviously, you know, milk production really struggled to keep up with the strong pace the industry saw last season. What were some of the primary challenges that your farms experienced? Yeah, good question. And look, it was a very challenging season, I think, for everybody. Running some numbers the other day, I think the key thing that sort of puts all that into perspective is that our on-farm costs, and, and this is fairly similar to a number of dairy operations in New Zealand, You've got costs that rose roughly 40% year on year, and that's due to a number of factors that maybe we can chat a little bit more detail later. But in real terms, the positive outlook that a lot of people are seeing in terms of milk price and the signal that the likes of the the STX futures are looking at and and milk price announcements from relative processes, even with that 40% increase in on-farm working costs, real revenue only really grew for a farmer by about 17% once that's adjusted for inflation. So while on an absolute basis, the revenue actually looks really good and the milk price signal is all saying, you know, make more, make more, make more. When your margins are are being squeezed to that extent, it just becomes very difficult to really put a positive spin on it. So yeah, no, it has been a challenging year and, you know, we're all fairly well aware of the, the geopolitical landscape as well that have had such a huge impact, especially in the last six months, you know, you know, nitrogen availability, dry feed availability, costing of the two. It's just putting a real squeeze on margins, you know, globally and obviously New Zealand's subject to that as well. So I guess the other thing as well is, you know, labor. It's very difficult to, I guess, find, well, not so much fine quality people, but just the, the labor market here is just so tight. And so if farmers have, have made a conscious decision to really expand aggressively, and if that was a decision that was to be made, that's one thing. But actually being able to find the primary industry labor to actually grow that is a real challenge. So, you know, a number of things have provided a less than rosy picture than the milk price would otherwise entail. And then in saying all this, we haven't even started talking about the weather. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> So speaking of weather, um, obviously there have been some difficulties in, you know, securing silage and and feed heading into winter. I saw in the April trade figures that there was a really large increase in palm kernel imports. And the other farmers that I've talked to are just really concerned about that feed availability this winter. I know, you know, there was a nice deluge of rain over the last week or so, but I also heard that it was a little bit too much too late. (laughs) So this seemed to have really hampered optimism into next season. Can this scenario shift at all over the next couple of months or what are your feelings toward that? You know, our farms have been completely susceptible to all that as well. And it's, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. It was a little bit too little, too late. Well, too much, too late. And it's so difficult to really nail down that optimal balance um, when you're talking to people around the country as well. Some people have got too much, other people too little. But in terms of the impact on the current season, I mean, the current season is essentially done and dusted. Um, everyone's looking forward to the upcoming season and and really the outlook isn't that great. The New Zealand farming base would love to be able to turn around to the international community and, and signal, you know, we're here to help feed the world and all that sort of stuff but really it's tough you know feed stock really low a lot of the feed inventories that people were holding coming into the new calendar year uh, would have been wound down heavily with the dryness that we experienced and you know actually being able to get feed is one thing but the price you got to pay is a different story altogether you know coming Mm -hmm. back to that question uh, the, the earlier comment around 
uh, food inflation and actual availability. And, you know, globally with the way logistics is panning out, I mean, hey, if you, if you book a container or something, if it turns up in six months' time, it seems like you're one of the lucky ones. Right. Um, and so it just becomes very, very difficult to have a really rosy and a really positive outlook for the upcoming season. Furthermore, I guess with, with the issues around feed, I mean, pasture cover isn't looking that great nationally. And, you know, as we were very briefly talking before recording, you know, we, we were likely to see some frosts come up um, as we head into winter as well. So the growth is not going to be great. So you starting the season on a fairly poor base with not a lot of chance for it to recover. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's production is going to fall off a cliff, obviously, because right. the luxury that we've, you know, the luxury that we've got in, in New Zealand is obviously in comparison to others is the pasture-based nature of the system. And so while it doesn't sound that great, given um, what I've probably just said, yeah. I mean, purely in terms of scale and cost, I mean, if you're making anything up to sort of the average production per cow per season, call it, say, 400 kg MS per cow, you know, the marginal cost of production for, for the New Zealand farmer is obviously comparatively lower than, than elsewhere in the right. world. But as soon as we really start to want to crank that up, the marginal cost just increases far too rapidly. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, look, farmers are in a, I, I guess, a slightly better position. Better would be completely dependent on, or saying better, I should say, is completely dependent on on which side of the trade you are. But but farmer debt this season, in comparison to previous, balance sheets are looking much stronger. I think farm prices are increasing ever so slowly, mm-hmm. not nearly as aggressive as the property market, especially where I live in Auckland. But um, (laughs) I I think overall, you know, sort of the less reliant on feed and implementing infrastructure that comes with that, you know, feed pads, et cetera, probably makes for somewhat of a softer landing, I would have thought, to New Zealand rather than other places uh, around the globe. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems, you know, one week you're worried and then the next month production comes back in a rampant way because you got the weather that you needed. So it's always hard to forecast what's going to happen next season. But sure, hoping some of that optimism comes back. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I guess we're, uh, in terms of pricing, you know, we've just been, uh, I guess, fairly fortunate at the moment now that globally demand for dairy still looks really strong and will likely continue to, to remain strong. So, I mean, the yes. worst thing that could happen, demand falls off a cliff, uh, pricing looks poor, output looks poor. I think that'd be the, uh, the nail on the coffin for a lot of people. Yeah, that's for sure. But I agree with you. I, I believe global demand is here to stay. And obviously, we've got some pullback here with the lockdowns over in China, but as soon as you know it gets sorted, not sure when that happens, but I think demand will snap right back. We'll see. The last question I have for you is we talked about New Zealand's been at peak cow for a few years now. Where exactly are the yield growth potentials going to come from? Is it genetics? Does there need to be more efficiency around top feeding? Um, I would love to hear your opinion on that. Yeah, um, I guess the easy thing to point at would be something with regards feeding. But the unfortunate thing is, I think, with the thing with feeding, as we were chatting about, you got to actually get the stuff into your farm first, which is an extreme challenge. And it has to make economic sense. And given the pricing globally, that doesn't make sense for a lot of people. You know, that marginal cost of increasing output is just, it's not good enough to, to warrant that expansion. So I think the tendency for a lot of people have just been to, you know, hunker down, see the season out, and then um, you know, hope that globally things sort of start sorting themselves out which is never an easy thing to do really you know it's never easy right. just just sitting there doing nothing and, and being subject to for example a madman invading its neighbor or you know the next pandemic or whatever so um now if you, if you are looking at expansion through you know dry matter that has a very material impact on greenhouse gas emissions and so the ability to really i guess structurally change the New Zealand farming system and, and place a much heavier reliance on feed 
at a national level, putting aside the investment that requires for installing you know, feed pads or feed lots or whatever, but with all that aside, there is a, a material green impact on that. And that's very, very difficult to manage with mm-hmm. the, the green movement, not only in New Zealand, the existing right. government, but also you know, globally. Mm-hmm. Obviously, ESG is a very hot topic. And again, once you put the costing things aside, we probably are not in a position to take that sort of approach at the moment. But um, uh, so with the feeding piece aside, I mean, if there was a, um, you know, initiative around, you know, genetics, not so much from a, from a pure yield perspective, but genetics in terms of methane emissions, I mean, that could be a long-term solution around actually being able to establish a heavier reliance on supplementary feed, um, if you can mm-hmm. get those uh, emissions under control. But um, I think the other thing that's really anchoring the New Zealand dairy machine from really ramping up from a production level again this is uh you know assuming the weather plays ball obviously but the new zealand farmer at the moment just i guess a little bit ham- hamstrung with with regards you know land use there are some um fairly restrictive limits you know preventing intensification of farming again not saying that's a uh, that's a negative thing it, it, it is what it is and it's yeah. all in line to um essentially wanting to prevent um increase in nitrogen leaching you know per uh, per square unit of land or whatever with a view to um, you know uphold water quality, which is you know which is a very real issue in, in New Zealand. So you know one way, shape, or form, I guess it, it has to happen. But without uh, any sort of the, uh, the the conversion dynamics that have been observed in previous years, it is difficult to see any sort of ramp up in um, actual available land um, used yeah. for conversions to actually increase the herds sizes. At the moment, it sort of feels like there's um, yeah not so much a um, a structural shift in the near term, but it's very difficult to nail down any sort of uh, factor or dynamic, where it be political, weather related, or whatever, that really points to an expansion in New Zealand milk production in the foreseeable future. So, and you know, people often refer to um, New Zealand milk as having plateaued, and I think right. that it's very difficult to see anything other than that. Well, it sounds like New Zealand's just another part of the world that's going to have a hard time getting out incremental milk, you know, over the next three to five years. So quite concerning if demand stays as strong as it has over the past couple of years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a correction at some stage. It just Mm -hmm. depends on what comes. But yeah, I guess markets have a way of sorting themselves out, we hope. So that's right. That's right. Well, Jason, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I must say, I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you next month when you're here in Chicago speaking, because you know this is just the tip of the iceberg of everything you have to share with our audience. So I appreciate it. No, that's great. No, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me along, and um, yeah, look forward to catching you up and um, you know meeting all your listeners in, uh, in June. Yeah, for sure. Cheers. Okay. Take care. Be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And if you're interested in receiving more information as well as our analysis, please visit highgrounddairy.com to request a free 30-day trial today. Futures and options trading involves substantial risk and is not suitable for all investors.